the first episode of the Sports Break Podcast. My name is Jackson King. And I'm Kyle Grondon. And in this episode, we're going to be talking about the first round of the NFL playoffs, the final college football championship, and a little bit about the Heisman Trophy presentation from Tuesday. Uh, as always, this is the Sports Break Podcast, where it's less of a expert opinion and more about a water cooler conversation. So uh, let's just jump into it. So uh, I guess we'll start off with, I'm sorry for your bet. Oh, geez. Uh, you know, I kind of saw it coming. It was okay. At the end of the season, it seemed like Devontae Smith had all the momentum. Um, I get it. I understand he was the best player in the country, so he deserves it. I, at the same time, I do feel like there's past there's past representation of guys like, you know, Michael Crabtree and Jamar Chase potentially having better seasons and not even being considered. Uh, whereas Smith seemed like the runaway favorite in a season where I thought Jones, you know, Jones did everything that he needed to. He was terrific in this one. Uh, this season, he did everything he needed to. He did everything he needed to in the SEC championship, the playoff game. Devontae Smith was just better. Yeah, um, there was a great uh, ESPN article, and I, I don't remember when it was posted, but it was essentially giving the background behind a wide receiver winning the tie, the winning the Heisman and then why Devontae Smith deserves it. And I think it brought up a really important point of, like, there's no true, like, go-to. Like, there's no, um, there's no like, Joe Burrow last year or, like, uh, I think a great example of um, – in 2014, when Mariota won it over uh, Amari um, uh, Cooper, who a lot of people thought was the last great wide receiver candidate for it. Yeah. Uh, this year, it was kind of a bunch of pretty good, but not great, like no flashy guys in terms of Mac Jones, Trevor Lawrence, and Kyle Trask. And yeah, I think, I think just Devontae Smith has the wow factor. And I think also the fact that Waddle got injured so early and him still having this great year, I think, kind of pushed him over the top of a... I don't want to say mediocre, because I do think all four of them are really good quarterbacks. And, like, yeah. I don't think we'll ever have, like, a year where, like, Matt Leinert won it again like he did in when, the year he stole it from Adrian Peterson. But, like, yeah, yeah no, Devontae Smith deserved it. Yeah, no, definitely. I mean, I think he was the most impactful player game in and game out. I mean, I think, like I said, I think Jones did everything he had to do. I mean, I, you can make an argument that he was he was the best quarterback in the country this year. And, uh, you know, I don't actually think it was particularly close. I thought he was better than Trask in a lot of factors. Um, I think the one interesting thing would have been if Trevor Lawrence played the whole year and also beat Notre Dame during the regular season, where would he have been at? Because I feel like that'd probably be the one challenger. If Lawrence was able to play that game, win that game, and also put up the numbers that he did all season long, I feel like he would have been probably the Heisman Trophy pick, but at the same time, like I said, he didn't play those games, so I understand Smith winning it. The problem with Lawrence, though, is the same thing that hurt Andrew Luck, which is, and, and the same thing, in my opinion, that hurt Tua the year that uh, Kyler won the, the Heisman, is that, you know, he's just a very good pro, and he's a guy who's going to come in the NFL and probably have a really good game, but he doesn't, he, he, there's nothing in his game one year to the next year that yeah. made him so much better. Uh, versus I think you look at the the only candidate I think was really going to upset him. And I think because uh, he had the flashiness to him, I think that's the thing that hurt Mac Jones, honestly, is that he's just a very quiet, kind of composed guy. Yeah. Uh, the only guy who I thought really had a chance of upsetting him was Kyle Trask, just because he's a very outspoken guy. And I think he also has that great story of like, 
He comes in halftime of the Kentucky game last year, kill, and then from that moment is like an amazing player. Not to mention he was a, basically a career backup since high school because he backed up Derek King in high school. Yeah. Um, so, you know, I, I, I understand the Trask argument. I just don't think he was as good as Jones and Lawrence. I mean, I think Lawrence had a terrific season. Um, I think one of the things also probably working against Lawrence throughout the year and because he missed games, I think kind of eliminated him is also the expectations going into the season. I think, you know, part of the reason why I bet on Mac Jones preseason, and I was talking about it all year, is that very rarely do we see the person who's actually the Heisman favorite actually win the award because the expectations are they're going to throw five touchdown passes a game because it's typically a quarterback. They're going to throw for 400 yards a game, and they're going to look awesome. So when it, if there's a game where they're just really good instead of great, it kind of moves them back, and everyone kind of is like, eh, we've been talking about this guy all off season and into the season. Why isn't he being this Superman out there? And, you know, it's it's probably going to work against Spencer Rattler next year too. And, so. and I think it also – but I do think Spencer Radler, I think because Oklahoma was not discussed much at all this year after their first two losses, I think he, he could come in as like a, oh, no one really paid attention to me the first year. Now I explode. Oh, maybe Heisman. I think what hurt Lawrence, and it's the same thing that's going to hurt Justin that hurt Justin Fields ultimately, besides the fact that he played only six regular season games, yeah. uh, and the fact that the voting happened before that game against Clemson, is that... They, they, they like to have the Heisman Trophy be kind of either a guy who came out of nowhere or at least a guy who was super stupendous that year. Yeah. And, again, I think this is another year similar to um, the year Mariota won where there was no clear, like, guy rising up the ranks this year. Right. Like, I think Smith is probably the best example of that, but, like, if in terms of you're looking at the top – five candidates, including Najee Harris, none of them really had a, well, where was this guy s- six months ago? Like, each, each of them had had a pretty good run. Yeah. I don't know. I think it's funny to think, because they mentioned in the uh, Heisman Trophy candidacy the amount of wide receivers that Alabama had had at the same time. If you look at, like, Calvin Ridley, uh, Ruggs, Judy, and this year with Devonta Smith and uh, Jer- uh, Waddle, is he even the... Where is he in that ranking? Because I, I don't know if he's even in the, like, the top two. Well, I mean, I think it depends on what you're looking for. If you're looking at like kind of a pro prospect and that... I mean, he's had just he as... he be the best pro prospect, but in terms of just... I mean, in pro prospect, I think Julio Jones was the best one out of Alabama. Oh, no, no. But I mean, in terms of the, that room itself. Because oh. he, was, he was a few years before. Yeah, I mean, that's, that's a good question. I don't know. Because in terms of pro pos- prospect, I still don't know. Like, I would actually... This wide receiver, I think the top of the wide receiver class is really good. Um, it doesn't quite have the depth of last year, but I think the top of it's really good. And I might still take Jamar Chase over J- uh, Devontae Smith. And a lot of it has to do with the size because I do think that is a question mark on Devontae Smith. How's that size going to translate to the NFL? Because he, he is really skinny. But at the same time, yeah, I mean, he might be the best one of that group. But at the same time, you can't discount guys like Amari Cooper, Calvin Ridley, all those other guys. I mean, Cooper was pretty phenomenal in college too. Yeah, um, it, it does... Uh, and they t- they joked about this. It does make a good argument if you're a wide receiver coming into college. Like, well, here's a program that not only produced a, a Heisman Trophy winner, but has that deep of a, a wide receiver room. It's, it's, I, you mentioned Chase. Uh, you mentioned him yesterday, but you, you also mentioned him a few minutes ago. It's interesting to see how he would have fared in this conversation had he been able to play. Because obviously LSU had a down year compared to... I mean, any year would be a down year compared to last year, but yeah. they had a 
up and down year where they lost some games they definitely shouldn't have, and then they had that upset victory over Florida to end the season. But in terms of what they were trying to do, I think Jamar Chase could have, A, made that team a lot better. Well, yeah. I mean, he would have been a bigger impact, but I think the same thing you have to look at. I think wide receivers quickly becoming one of the more important positions in college football just because of how important playmakers are in the game, especially with how much is spread out compared to the pro game and compared to football just like 10 years ago even. Um, But I do think you look at, you know, I don't know if one wide receiver can flip an entire team. So, like, you look at Rashad Bateman's another guy that for – he came back for a little bit this year from Minnesota. He was the guy that a lot of people were debating was the best wide receiver in the country. You know, he was in the conversation with a lot of these guys. Well, Tanner Morgan takes a step back this year from Minnesota. That offensive line isn't healthy at all. So he has good numbers, but he also can't impact them winning a whole lot of games because he can't get the touches that he got last year when everything was working for Minnesota. I think Jamar Chase would have had really good numbers. He probably would have had a great season again. But when he has, you know, Max Johnson throwing him footballs as a true freshman, you know, a whole new basically offensive line at LSU. I think a lot of that would have probably dipped his impact on the game. I think he just would have been a, I could have seen him as basically just an awesome stats bad team guy that maybe wins them an additional game, but doesn't get them much further. I also think it's interesting to see how this win by Devonta Smith in a rightfully deserved one. And I think one that will be considered like, will this be the turning point for wide receivers? Because you look at it, and if you go to, 19, I think, again, great point in this ESPN article. If you go back to 1972, there have only been three wide receivers that have won the Heisman Trophy. Mm-hmm. Um, everyone else has either been, there's the one, obviously, uh, De, uh, not Desmond Howard, the uh, Charles Woodson year, where he yeah. was the kick returner and the cornerback. But then most of the rest of them have been all cornerbacks and running backs. So mm-hmm. I think you look at it, is this the year because of this gut win? For Devonta Smith, that the wide receivers start getting into more consideration, or will next year go back to normal and Spencer Rattler? Or well, so I think it's an interesting debate. I do think wide receivers are going to get a lot more attention, but I think a lot of things, you know, I think a lot of things did break Devonte Smith way this year, mm-hmm. and I think that's going to have to happen again for another wide receiver to win. So you look at it: the two favorites, Trevor Lawrence, like I said, missed two games. Justin Fields only played six games due to the Big Ten's. Um, and he, and he only had and he had two bad games. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, so I mean, but it, you know, if he had a full 12-game slate, you know, yeah. we're, we'd probably be willing to forgive, you know, two bad games if he had more games where he was throwing more touchdowns than incomplete passes. So, you know, those two guys both being out, I think p- catered or helped Devontae Smith too. And I think the thing is too that we we don't talk about enough is that while there is this wide receiver revolution cuz it seems like now Draft after draft, there's five wide receivers. You're like, that guy could be a first-round guy. You know, we've had this huge influx of wide receiver talent because that's just the way the game is going. But at the same time, we've had this wide receiver talent. We've had a huge quarterback talent boom, too. You know, you look at all the guys that have been drafted in 20... Was it 2018? 20, You know, it's like we're having three or four quarterbacks every draft. I think, personally, that this could tie the record for six quarterbacks taken in the first round with guys like... Um, you know, you got Lawrence, you got Fields, you got Wilson, you got Lance. You got a guy who didn't even play this year in Trey Lance. Yeah. Be a first round. Who, yeah. Yeah. Mac Jones and then Kyle Trask, too. And there's a lot of teams with either aging quarterbacks or quarterback questions that are probably going to take a chance on those guys to get those six in the first round. Then you look at next year, too. There's 
Uh, Sam Howe will put together a terrific season. If that defense gets a little better, North Carolina can be really dangerous because they can't defend anybody. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's a power five guy, so he won't be considered for Heisman, but Dylan Gabriel's really awesome, uh, really accurate passer. You got Spencer Rattler. Group of five. Group of five, sorry, yeah. my bad. Yes, group of five. Uh, Spencer Rattler, like you said, uh, had a terrific second half of the season uh, in his first year playing college. And he's going to be back. He's going to be really good. I, I really liked, I forget the guy's name, um, the Texas kid who came into that bowl game. He looked really good. Uh, you look at Arizona State, Jaden Daniels has a ton of talent. Uh, Keaton Slovis at USC has a ton of talent. So just as much as there's a wide receiver boom in the uh, in college football, I think there's a huge quarterback boom of all these guys that are going to be really good against next year. And next year's going to be also very weird because... They gave everyone, seniors, an extra year of eligibility because of everything that's going on. So you could see weird situations where, like, and I don't think he'll ultimately stay, but, like, Kellen Mond comes back for his senior year, comes back for a fifth year, and, like, I don't know, he's 24 at that point. Yeah. Yeah, like, next year could be even more than this year because I think this year was the trying to understand COVID and games getting canceled. Next year could be the crazy year of six or five draft cl- or like recruiting classes all coming together. Yeah, exactly. And then, you know, if Derek King can get healthy again, too, he's another mm-hmm. guy who will be in the conversation. So it'll be a fun what college. What happens for- to JT Daniels plays a full year? Yeah, J- yeah. I, started looking good at the end of the year. Yeah, so, I mean, there's, there's a ton of guys that I think could be in the award that aren't just uh, – wide receivers too. I think there's going to be a ton of quarterbacks that are going to be in the conversation next year. And I think speaking to what you said about things breaking for uh, Devonta Smith, I remember like with seven or eight games done in the season, I remember a lot of people, probably just because Florida was up there in the rankings and because Tresk had a good year, were being like comparing him to Burroughs stats from the end of last year. And same thing with Mac Jones. And then I don't know, I can't, I don't have the stats in front of me, but I do believe both had a dip in their production over that last four or five games. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I think everything in in awards and about football is about narratives. So because they dipped right at the time of voting, it's like, well, those guys don't, aren't as good anymore. Yeah, exactly. If if they fall back, then all of a sudden it's there for somebody else to take the spot. Um, So, yeah, I mean, you know, give credit to Devontae Smith. I'm not taking anything away from him. I just think that I don't know if this will be an ongoing trend of wide receivers winning, you know, of the next 10 years. I think they might win one more, you know, I'm not going to say more than I wouldn't say more than two. I wouldn't bet more than two. If you had to put your stamp of this is the guy I think will win Heisman next year. Obviously, no one knows what's going to happen next season. Uh, No one knows who's going to project or anything except for the names that have already come out. But in terms of who's a guy you think should be the considered the front runner, even whether he's not or not, to be the Heisman next season? I mean, I think for next year, I think Radler's a good pick because I think Oklahoma's going to be really good next season. Uh, I think they got a really good defense. This was the best Oklahoma defense probably in the Lincoln-Riley era. Uh, and Radler really figured things out. I think he struggled early on and you know looked like a true or a redshirt freshman trying to play. And you know he bounced back and put together some really good performances. Uh, and put that offense back at the level that Baker, Kyler, and uh, Jalen all had it. So I think Radler is rightfully going to be the favorite, and I think he should be the favorite. But yeah, I do think there's a ton of other guys. Like if you're if you're looking at a value play too, I I just think a guy like like I said, Sam Howell put together one of the best offenses in the country, 
And he's going to be even better next year, and they're going to have a better defense around him, I think, too. So I think a guy like Sam Howell is someone to watch. I think I think he hit the 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 nail on the head in that I think Rattler I think both the Big Twelve will have another down year next year. Um, but like. I do also think that Texas will have so much hype that when Oklahoma beats them, I think that'll be a big narrative, like media, like oh they beat Texas and mm-hmm. Rattler. You know I think over the last probably six weeks of the season there was no hotter team than Oklahoma. I yeah. think that goes into the national championship. Uh, into the to the Cotton Bowl win against Florida, uh, I think the sleeper name you got to look for is probably JT Daniels. I think he he was a guy who dealt with a lot of injuries this season, and but when he played and even in that Peach Bowl against Cincinnati, he had a good game against a really good Cincinnati defense. I think Florida will take a step back next year, and I don't know of another good SEC East team. So I think, you know, he gets the benefit of playing outside of the SEC opponents next season. Mm-hmm. He won't have to face Alabama, I believe. Yeah. And so you give JT Daniels a full season with Georgia. He could be the next Kyle Trask to me as a guy who came into the season with okay expectations, but then finishes up top. Yeah, I mean, I really like Daniels. I don't know why they took so long to get him going. I think he was injured. Well, they, they said he was injured, but he also wasn't on the injury report. They just said... I don't know. It was a weird situation. Uh, I have a lot of Georgia fans in my life upset about it, but it's okay. Uh, so I think they ended their season as fine as they wanted to. Yeah, exactly. And, you know, the thing is, too, along with that, you know, if you believe a lot of rumors or you like to take any stock in rumors, the, the future of Dan Mullen at the University of Florida is in question, whether he goes to the NFL or not. There's talks about that of, uh, you know, if he decides that he wants to take a job, I guess Schefter said something about it. Um, so that opens up a lot in the SEC East. And I, I do think there's one more uh, group to look at. And there's a lot working against the Pac-12's favor. Mainly the Pac-12 commissioner is incompetent. But also because, you know, the late night games, a lot of Heisman voters aren't watching, aren't staying up for it, all that kind of stuff. But I, I do think Jaden Daniels can light the league on fire. I think he has the talent to do it. And I think if Arizona State can put a, together a good team around him, which I think Herb Edwards is putting together a solid team. I still think there are a few pieces away, but if they can put together a good team around him and he starts playing well at the beginning of the season and Heisman voters have to start paying attention, I think Daniels can generate some buzz too because I think he's as electric as almost anyone in the country. I think the problem, and I think you hit it, uh, you, you said it in the fact that they're late games. I do think that's hurt that hurts them. And I think, uh, you know, I don't know if Herbert necessarily would have deserved to get to that playoff or to the Heisman house, but I do think... He, his chances were hurt by not by playing in Oregon, but I also yeah. do think that the fact that they're a very the conference is very even, but yeah. also no one's good. No one no one flashes the. I don't. I think it's pretty much everyone. There's like six solid teams, but no great teams. Yeah, and I think that is going to hurt them because yeah. like I look at Georgia and they play in a conference. They they're lucky also in that. The three best teams in the SEC, excluding them, next year are probably all going to be in the West in Alabama, A&M, and LSU. Mm-hmm. And the one opponent they're locked into from the West uh, is Auburn, and I think they're going to struggle next year. So yeah, it might take a couple of years for Auburn to get. I, I do think back Carson was a good hire. I just don't think, especially, I think LSU is going to have a big bounce back year and probably win nine, ten games. Uh, a&M has a solid young foundation, uh, and 
I think you saw that in the bowl game that they're a team that just is happy with just running the ball up the, the middle. Yeah. And uh, Alabama's Alabama. Yeah. Yeah, they'll be they'll be great. I mean, they just brought it. They're bringing in the best recruiting class ever, so they're going to be just as good. Um, but, but no, if you're looking at uh, if you're looking at who to root for next year, I think Georgia is a possibility. I'm trying to think if there's anyone. I guess Sam Sam Howell's a nice pick. I do think North Carolina will have a better year because a Notre Dame's leaving the conference. Yeah. So they'll have a like not that good of a defensive performance. Also. I don't think Clemson's going to lose a lot, but I think they're going to take a step back with Etienne leaving and Lawrence leaving. Yeah, Clemson's interesting to me because they played a lot of young guys on that uh, defense. On that defense, mm-hmm. and I think that's why the defense kind of you know. I think part of the reason with the Ohio State game is Clemson probably isn't as good as like some of the powerhouse teams of the past couple of years. But like you know, you look at the guys on that defense, you know. Brian Brissy is a defensive end who was a five-star recruit and I think the number one player in the country. I think at the same time, Miles Murphy was playing as a freshman. He was the number two player in the country. They're both on that defensive line and put together good freshman seasons and got a ton of reps. So I think Clemson can be really good. And I think, you know, DJ Uwe Ungulale, uh was... I'm going to put it right here if you actually got that correct. What? I'm going to put it right here if you actually got that correct. I thought I got it right. I think I did it. DJ Uwe Ungulale, uh, looked really good in place of Trevor Lawrence. So, you know, he's another guy that might be a sleeper pick because uh, he's definitely proven that he's got the arm strength and the talent. So, you know, if Clemson's back, it's going to be because he's thrown the ball around. I don't think Clemson will be bad. I just, my only thought is they may take... You see this every year where a team that's really good struggles through their first couple of games. Not necessarily losing, but just not playing up to their competition. Uh, I think Oklahoma was the great example of that this year, and mm-hmm. I think that could possibly hurt Clemson next year. They'll, they'll probably still make their annual trip to the college football playoff, but then yeah, just struggle a little bit in the beginning of the game. No, I agree. Or North Carolina takes over maybe this year for a year. But Would Texas fans be so pissed? Oh, they if, definitely would. Yeah. Uh, speaking of playoff, though, uh, this week is exciting. It's the first week of the NFL playoffs. Yes, it is. In uh, the first week, we're actually getting three playoff games in a weekend. Or th- six. Six playoffs. Three, three a day. day. Yeah. I, I, yeah. Uh, we're getting, uh, this is the first year, obviously, of the seventh seed. And so we're excitingly getting three playoff games on Saturday and Sunday. Uh, do you think that's a little too much? Or would you rather them play like three days or... Think? I think three, you know, I think it's the perfect time slot because, you know, you look at a normal Sunday, it's one o'clock or I go by East Coast time. I'm sorry. But it's for central time people. It's noon, three and then 630, you know. So I think that's the perfect setup where you got three games each of these days, noon, three, 630. And I also think it's good because I, I don't think there's a huge drop off between the five and the seven seeds in the AFC. You know, if you look at the past 10, 15 years. I don't think there's ever been a huge drop off between five and seven to where we need, where we didn't need to include an extra team, and you know it gives more an advantage to a one seed. So I give credit for that. I think it's a good thing. I, I, I think it has its pros and its cons. Um, I do think it makes the one seed that much more impactful. Like in past years, winning home field advantage obviously mattered, but you saw one seeds lose all the time in the first in the first game. Yeah. I think making it the only game that gets a bye 
gives it a little bit more like we were were rewarded for having the best team in the conference. But shouldn't we reward that? Yeah. So. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. If you go fifteen and one like Kansas City has, or well, they four, went fourteen and two, but yeah. Oh. Fourteen and one. The last game didn't count. Although the thing is, is like you know. I think there's been some like off Kansas City buzz because Buffalo's looked so good and Baltimore's looked so good these past few weeks. But Kansas City, like, they were like one quarter away and playing their starters in the last week of the season from being 16 and 0. Uh, I think the AFC, though, is definitely the more interesting side of the bracket. I mean, I think yeah. we'll start with NFC. Uh, you mentioned there's not much difference between the five and the seven seed. Uh, disagree on the NFC side? Uh, well, yeah. I. The Bears, they're, they're definitely worse teams. They're worse teams right now in the bracket that in terms of Washington that have played and made the playoffs. How badly are the Bears going to lose this week? Because they're playing a good Seahawks team. No, they play the Saints. Oh, they play the Saints. Yeah, well, I, I actually don't think it's a terrible matchup for them. You know, they played the Saints to overtime earlier in the season. So they clearly aren't like a complete train wreck to them. And, you know, we don't actually know the health of Kamara... We're assuming that he's going to be able to play, uh, be back with the COVID-19 stuff. You know, Michael Thomas coming off of IR. So that's two major players on that Saints offense. And, you know, they were able to go to overtime when Nick Foles was the quarterback. I think Trubisky can, you know, he makes mistakes. He takes bad sacks. He makes bad throws. Um, but he also can move the ball a lot better than Nick Foles. So maybe there's a little upset juice there. I'm not going to bet on it. I don't think that they, I wouldn't you know, pick that in any way, but I don't think that's a complete like mismatch. I I have never been higher on this Bears team at all this year. No, I wasn't either. I I was a little bit higher on them when they had Foles playing as well as he was in that five and one start. Because it was like, oh, Foles has an has a history of playing really well. He's doing it again. Maybe that can stay. Obviously it didn't. Um yeah, I think the problem for this game is going to ultimately hinge on Kamara's health. If Kamara plays, I think they're going to beat them by like three touchdowns, if. Yeah. Um, and I, I think it's going to essentially be how much can the Bears defense hold the Saints offense. I think if Kamara doesn't play, I think it's going to be a little more, bit more interesting, but I still don't trust... Trubisky in a like fourth quarter scenario, like no, a closing chance. drive scenario, and I think, I think that game against the Packers, even though again the Packers are the best team in the conference, and I think heavily favored to go back to to go to the Super Bowl. Um, I don't, I don't see the Bears. Yeah, I mean, I think, uh, you know, I think the Bears, I think the defense has kind of stepped back a little bit the past few weeks. Uh, but the offense has been able to put on more points. And they also struggle with Kamara in that game that went to overtime. You know, that was the one guy they kind of struggled with. So I think there's a lot of factors going against the Bears. I just don't think there's a 0% chance that they, <clears throat> you know, I don't think that they're, yeah, I think it's greater than 0 that they can win. I but I, w- I don't think it's like more than like 20. I also think it's going to be interesting to see what quarterback we get out of the Saints. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, Drew Brees came back three weeks ago, three weeks left in the seat, and he looked awful. Uh, yeah. I still don't know anything about if Tyson Hill can do it consistently. Yeah. Um, 
Could we possibly see Jameis Winston? Could we? I don't think so. No. No, I, I mean, I think, so I think Brees had his best game the last week of the season against yeah. Carolina. I thought he looked really good in that one. And I thought the defense looked terrific in that one. They got five interceptions on the uh, Teddy Bridgewater, PJ Walker combination. So I thought the defense played one of its best games. I think they're, they have some things going for them. Um, I don't love them in some playoff matchups, but I do think the NFC is a lot of matchup-based games because I think it's pretty wide open between four of the teams to make the Super Bowl. Uh, or I guess I would say four now. I, I like the Rams a lot, um, and I don't think John Walford's a complete train wreck. He looked really good against it, the Cardinals. Yeah, but he, he also opened the game up with an interception. I thought he missed some throws. Like I think... I don't think he's a complete train wreck, but I'm not going to trust him in a playoff game in his second career start um, going to Seattle, too. Uh, not that home field advantage means that much anymore. But. Going back to the, the Bears and the Saints, though, um, if you're looking at, like, it's going to probably be a defensive battle because I do think the Bears' defense will step up for the most. Like, like I think the fact that they've had to face, you know, some pretty high-powered offenses hurt them the last couple weeks, especially the Packers. Um, but I do think they'll kind of rebound against the Saints team that struggled, especially Michael Thomas yep. has struggled. Um, but I ultimately don't think – I think it's going to be the team that makes the biggest mistake. And obviously you could say that for any game, but I think whichever offense throws the worst interception or the or has the worst like like three and out – I think we'll ultimately lose the game. And if you're asking me which quarterback will do that, I think it's going to be Trubisky. I don't, I don't hot trust. Take. Hot take. Hot take. Yeah. No, I, just, I, don't, I think he's not my least favorite quarterback in the playoffs. That's probably Wolford just because of experience. But um, I'm trying to think of who's in I the mean, playoffs. I mean, Philip Rivers yeah. is up there, but I think it's probably Wolford yeah, just I think because so of experience. Too. But, uh, yeah, I don't – I think if I had to go number-wise, I would say – Saints win by 17. Yeah, but yeah, I could see it as a two-touchdown game. Um, yeah, I mean, I don't think Brees has been... I think I haven't been high on him this year, but I also don't think he's... He doesn't make a ton of mistakes still at his age. Sure. He's still... You know, he doesn't turn the ball over a whole lot, and that's all you can really ask from him. And if the Saints defense is going to play as well as it did uh, last week, then I think they should win. Not to mention, I think... Uh, Chicago's offensive line has been better the last few weeks, but I still don't think it's great going against that Saints front four, which might be the best in the league with Cam Jordan, Trey Hedrickson, Marcus uh, Davenport, all those guys. I think that could be dangerous. So I, I could see Saints by two touchdowns. I think the one thing, and, and uh, I'll leave this game at this, Drew Brees has gotten better over these last three games he's played, mm-hmm. three or four games. I wouldn't be surprised if, not necessarily a vintage performance, but he, if against a Bears defense that's looked lost over the last three weeks, has a classic performance and helps New Orleans keep, stay ahead and look good going into that uh, uh, divisional divisional round matchup. Uh, do you want to start out? Do you want to go Seahawks or do you want to go uh, football team next? Uh, we can go Seahawks. I think that's an interesting game. Uh, both teams are obviously battling with injuries. We talked about John Walford because Jared Goff seems to still be out. And also Jamal Adams might not play. I haven't seen the latest updates on it. But I know he got hurt in that last game of the season. And it's kind of up in the air. And I think that makes an interesting matchup because I thought Seahawks defense has gotten a lot better um, in the second half of the season. In fact, I thought they were very good the last few weeks of the season. 
And a lot of that has to do with Jamal Adams being back on the field and being healthy because he's basically a defensive lineman with safety speed. He plays up on the line of scrimmage so much, makes so much plays in the backfield, gets after quarterbacks. He does so much for that team. I think it's a I think the Seahawks are dangerous. I just I, I can't get a feel for them because they might be the most complete team in football. Uh, when the defense is playing like it is the last few weeks, I think it's a terrific defense. When the offense played like it did early in the season, it's a terrific offense as we've seen with you know all the Russell Wilson buzz early in the year. But we haven't seen them have a great offensive day and a great defensive game at the same time. I can't understand why it happens, but it keeps happening where only one of the one side of the ball is really good during a game. And I think that's something that's plagued the Seattle. I'm going to say for a couple of years now, yeah. where they've been. They have all the pieces to make a Super Bowl run. And in theory, they should be, with all their pieces, and especially after the Jamal Adams trade, should be one of the favorite teams. But I do think because they have a history of just... I look at last year, the game against the Packers. That was not... And I, I look at uh, some of the games this year. I think the Giants game against... You now, granted, the Giants, I think, have a good defense. Yeah. But that Seattle game against the Giants like was a great example of how Seattle could play against a team like L.A. that has one of the best defenses in the league. I think it ultimately comes down to which Wolford we see. Yeah. Wolford, in the, after that first drive against Arizona, looked pretty good, I want to say. Like, he didn't look great or anything, but yeah. he, against a, a Cardinals defense that I think has had their moments, he had poise, he was able to extend plays, I don't know. I just, I don't think it's out of the blue to, I don't think it's uh, unfathomable to say that he can beat that Seahawks team. Yeah. It's just, I don't trust it. If you're, if you're one of those people that likes to bet on playoff games, I wouldn't trust on Walford versus, I trust Russell Wilson against that LA defense. Though I do think it's going to be an interesting matchup. Yeah. I mean, I, I don't think, I think they have a chance because that defense is so good. Uh, the Rams probably have the best defense in the league. They have great players in the secondary. I thought Jalen Ramsey against DeAndre Hopkins last week was awesome. Um, the defensive line with Aaron Donald, who's probably a defensive player of the year. Um, you know, it's either that, him or TJ Watt. Yeah, so I thought it was a terrific year for them. I think that's a really good defense. And so I think one thing Walford did after that first interception was essentially not make a mistake afterwards, which is pretty much all they needed because they just needed to score 18 points. Uh, he didn't get a lot of help in that game. Cam Akers was terrible. I think he had like 34. He had like a 1.2 yards per carry and lost a fumble. Um, so you look at that and you, you need more production out of Cam Akers because I don't think they're gonna, I think the defense is really good and can win the game. I don't think they're going to be able to put together the offensive performance they had last week and win the game though. I think that they need they need to muster at least like 20 points somehow. Whether it's Cam Akers controlling the clock and you know even if he's getting three and a half yards to carry, just moving the ball a little bit, bit by bit, controlling the clock. And the good thing is that Cooper Cup should be back. Um, so if Cooper Cup's back too, I think that's a great weapon for Walford. He didn't have that because Cooper Cup, I think, is uh, one of the best receivers in the country, uh, just for the way he can get open. And you know they're going to design a few plays for him to get out there and make some plays. And I think he can. And in the same way that like Cole Beasley really does a great job of being a five-yard reception for uh, Josh Allen, I think he'll be a great security blanket for Walford. Um, I do agree that this game is essentially, and again, I think Russell Wilson versus that Rams defense is going to be the focal point for most fans. I think the game's going to be decided upon if L.A. can run the ball. 
because yep. I do think the secondary, whether or not Adams plays, has struggled all year for Seattle. Yeah. If if same or if, sorry, not if same, if LA can get a running attack going and prove to not have them stay with like five defensive backs all game, yeah. which would be my strategy for Seattle. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I would. I could see LA stealing this. This this reminds me of weirdly enough what happened to LA a few years ago, where they were the three seed and they were heavily favored, and then they got beat by Seattle or Atlanta team that yeah was just okay. Yeah, I mean, I think um, I think it's a dangerous team. I think that, like you said, they got to be able to run the ball. But you know, even when Seattle's defense struggled. They defended the run pretty well. So this has been a good run defense, I think, for the most of the season, um, which can be the difference. It's just, yeah, I mean, I think the one thing that could also play a huge factor is when Russell Wilson's been bad, like you look at the Seahawks' losses, a lot of it involves Russell Wilson not just being bad, but turning over the football and, you know, making mistakes. You know, that Arizona game, he turned the ball over like three times. That Giants game, he turned the ball over a couple times. And if he... If he doesn't manage to turn the ball over in this one, I think they're going to be fine because I think that they're a better team and a more complete team when Walford's uh, uh, when Walford's playing. Um, but if he turns the ball over a few times, makes it short field for Los Angeles, I think they got a chance. Um, what would you put? Uh, how much would you think score wise? Uh, I would probably go something like Seahawks twenty one thirteen. I think it's going to be a lower scoring game than most people think. I'm probably going to go 17-10. Yeah. Because I do think... I also think that in the second half, Russell Wilson could kind of just not mail it in, but like if they're up a bunch, they could like run it more and just try and kill some clock. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I think it's probably going to be one of the more interesting games of the week. I don't know if it'll be great, but it, it's probably going to be... I think it'll be a very interesting game, especially to, you know, divisional rivals. I think it'll be a fun game. Uh... Yeah, I think I just lean Seattle right now. I'm not trusting a guy in his second start to beat Russell Wilson at home. Where, you know, even without the 12th man, as they call it in Seattle, I don't know if they still have the legal right to do it. They, they do. They, oh, yeah. They, they give a and a huge check every year. Yeah, so <laughs> uh, even without all those fans in Seattle, which made it a huge home field advantage, I think they still went like 7-1 and one at home. So yeah. it's not just the, uh, just the fans that cater to that uh, home record. I think this is a good team. So going from probably one of the most interesting games in the year to the least interesting games of the year, <laughs> uh, Tampa Bay and the football team. Oh boy. This feels like the game, if, if, if we write the narrative of Tom Brady, and this is the year where it's like him proving that he's the best quarterback and not just part of the Patriots. This feels like the game where it's like he's facing a good defense and he lights them up for 30 points. I don't know. This game, to me, feels like a game that could be over by halftime. I think so, too. I, I've actually seen a lot of stats that the Redskins, or not the Redskins, the Washington football team is the best second-half defense in the NFL, and a lot of that is also because their first-half defense isn't too great. No. Um, so I think it's interesting. So, like, I get it because you, you look at what the football team does really well. They have a terrific front four with – Monta Sweat, who might be the most underrated player in the league. He's definitely my most underrated pass rusher. Yeah. Monta Sweat, Chase Young, uh, they have John Bostich, you and know. Jonathan Allen. And Jonathan Allen, you know. Ryan Kerrigan might be the fifth best defensive lineman on that team, which is almost absurd. Um, so you look at that team, they have great defensive line. 
the the recipe for beating Brady for almost 13, 14 years now has been you have to be able to rush four and not just rush four. You have to be able to rush up the middle with four. Washington can do that. They have the skilled players to do that, and they also have players at the back that can create turnovers when their front four is getting after the quarterback. And, you know, Brady's never been the most mobile guy, but he's even less mobile now at 43 than he was at 33. So that if they do get after him, I think there is a chance. But at the same time, this team just played an Eagles team who was trying so hard to lose and barely won. You know, you look at the young... You talk about Brady not being able to move. Alex Smith can't really move either with his leg in his situation right now. I just think even with some of the guys missing for Tampa Bay on that defense, uh, with I think Devin White's going to be out. Uh, there's a chance Shaq Barrett returns. I still think they're going to be able to get after him. And there's just not enough juice on this Washington offense right now to make things happen. I do, I do think Tampa wins big. You know, I think Tampa's in an interesting spot because I, th- I feel like Tampa and Baltimore are very similar right now where both teams had a lot of preseason hype. Then they both kind of came out a little flat at times and then they really turned it on the last four or five games of the season and the thing is is that both with both teams people are looking at oh well they didn't really play anybody those last four games of the season but i don't think for for both teams i think it's the same thing where it's like it's not necessarily that they just blew out bad teams they also changed things in their game that also helped them blow out bad teams and look a lot better they're not running the ball as much with Leonard Fournette and Ronald Jones for two yards on first and second down. They're throwing more early on downs. They're giving Brady more opportunity to identify coverages early and make his own decisions. And I think it's really catered to this team and made it look really good this last few weeks offensively. This Brady very much reminds me of like 2011, 20, like, like not, not like 2007 Brady, but like very good near like MVP like throwing in the pocket he's probably got his most talented receivers he's ever had Mm -hmm. Uh, and I guess the big question is because I've never been huge on the Washington secondary um, and I think the question will be can that front four get to him before he finds Evans and Godwin and Antonio Brown and Gronkowski and OJ Howard like the amount of weapons this Tampa Bay offense has is incredible yeah. Um, and so I think the ultimate question is, I think they'll score at least 28 points, probably more. Yeah. But do you trust Washington's offense to score 28 points? No. And I, I don't. No, I, I don't. I think that game against Philadelphia, which I, I think Philadelphia's defense is one of the worst in the league, if not the worst, um, they did not look good at all. Uh, they... I don't think shenanigans happened. A lot of people are are saying shenanigans happened with Philly blowing, like wanting to lose that game. Uh, but I do think you cannot look at that Washington football team and say, I have confidence in them beating Tom Brady and the Pats. Yeah. Or Tom Brady and the Bucks. Yeah, they, they might have not tried to lose it, but they definitely didn't care about winning it with the guys that were out and then putting in Nate Sudfield. Um so I think, yeah, I mean, I don't, I don't think the second, if Brady's able to drop back there and go through his progressions, I don't think the secondary has a chance for Washington. I think it's really good when they can get pressure because they can capitalize on turnovers and make plays. Um, but they, they, the defensive line has to play almost a perfect game, I think. I, I also uh, think to your point about like how the team has evolved over these last four weeks, I think they're playing more to Brady's strength. I think they've decided, look, we don't need to have these games where Ronald Jones gets the ball 30 times. Mm-hmm. and Let's just 
it feels like they're playing a video game at times. Like, okay, look, pack, we'll run everyone out and we'll find the open gun. It's not hard. Yeah. I, mean, I don't know. I think Bruce Arians, it's taken a while, probably because of COVID and probably because of the limited amount of practice time. I do think Bruce Arians is finally involved in offense that suits Tom Brady. And yeah. I don't know. They're one of my sleeper teams that could do stand, both because they have Tom Brady and also because I think they have just so many weapons. They're a team that could sneak into the playoff, could sneak through the playoffs and possibly either become the Titans of this year where they get to the AFC Championship game or the NFC Championship game or they could win a Super Bowl. Yeah, I mean, I think that I think, like I, I was saying a little earlier, I think NFC is a lot of matchup-based things. Like I said, I think, you know, the Rams have the best defense in the league, but they also had John Walford, and not a lot of people were sold on Jared Goff before he got hurt. So, you know, they probably have the worst quarterback of the bunch. The Saints probably have the most talented team, but we haven't seen all that talent really harnessed together look really good. The Seahawks might have the most complete team with a good offense and a good defense, but like I said, we haven't seen it all come together with them with all those pieces working. And then the Packers probably had the best offense in the league. They have a great secondary too. And also, you know, along with having Aaron Rodgers, but they can't stop the run. And a lot of it, I think, is matchup based too, because you look at it, Tampa beat Green Bay by a lot. But they in also Lambeau. in Lambo. No, that was in Tampa. Oh, it was in Tampa? Yeah. Okay. So they beat Green Bay by a lot, but they lost to New Orleans twice by a lot. And they lost to the Rams. The Rams uh, lost to the Seahawks. The the Packers beat the Saints. So you look at all this. A lot of it is kind of matchup based for me. Where I think depending on how the schedule shakes out, if it if it goes chalk, basically the favorites win the first week, uh, round of the playoffs, and Tampa Bay plays Green Bay, I think that's a spot where Tampa Bay can win. Yeah. If there's another upset below them and like the Rams win and they have to go to New Orleans, I could see that being a tough spot for them to too. And New Orleans just beats up on them because New Orleans. Matches up well with the Tampa Bay defense. Yeah, I think the NFC... But I, again, I think I, I alluded to this when we started talking about the NFC playoffs. I do think it's the least interesting because I think there are... I think the matchups, specifically in the first round, are very, like... Yeah. I expect the chalk teams to win, but I do think... You're talking about those next rounds of the playoffs I think could be way more interesting than the NFC. Quickly back on the Bucks, uh, Give me a final score of what you think it could be. Uh, I think they'll jump out to an early lead and then kind of coast, and maybe Washington gets like a backdoor cover that way. Um, I'll go thirty-one twenty-four bucks. I think I think Tampa Bay will have a big start to the game, mm-hmm. uh, and then because of that, I think Washington will not be able to do. It. I I don't think they'll get shut out, but I do think it'll be a tough go for them. I'm thinking twenty-eight. 10. Bucks. That's right. Uh Quickly going over the other side, what's the most interesting matchup you think on the AFC? Uh, the rematch. Uh, we got Baltimore-Tennessee. I think that's going to be the most interesting game of the week on both sides. You know, I think you got Tennessee with their with Derrick Henry rushing for 2,000 yards this season. This passing game looking like even better this year. Um, Tannehill has connected with A.J. Brown all year. Corey Davis has had a resurgent year. He had a couple bad drops in that last game of the season against the Texans, but I think it's still a really dangerous passing game. And you got the Ravens, who have probably the most talented secondary in football and have really put it together on offense since, uh, you know, since a couple of those bad losses and getting through all that COVID stuff. 
They're they're bet they've looked really good the last four weeks. And like Tampa Bay, when I said that they really turned it on this last four weeks, I don't think it's necessarily just getting the opportunity to play bad teams. They've also done a lot of things on offense, like stretch the field more, throw deep more, and uh, you know, it opens up more for Lamar Jackson and uh, J.K. Dobbins, who's been an electric running back for them. So I find this as a really interesting matchup. Yeah, um, I think the interesting thing about t- Tennessee and Baltimore, both teams definitely underperformed in the regular season compared to where they were last year. You know, you look at Tennessee, and they were a team that a lot of people thought, you know, could possibly make another run at the Super Bowl, with especially with how Ryan Tannehill's played this year. Like, oh, of course. Like, Ryan Tannehill's been sneakily like a top-five quarterback in the league. But the defense has been one of the worst. Yeah. And, and I think... Similar to Baltimore, they're one of the most inconsistent teams in the league where they'll, you know, have a really good game and then lose to the Bengals. Uh, I don't know. I think I think it all comes down to um, how Ryan Tannehill plays. Mm-hmm. I think if he can perform as he's played in some of the better games, um, I'm thinking of, like, the Bills game. Yeah. Uh, I think they should have enough firepower with him and Derrick Henry to win. Yeah. But I also understand why. I, I believe the betting favorite is Baltimore. Yeah, they, they are and, by a couple points. And uh, I, I understand why, because this Tennessee defense, like, you look at the Baltimore team, and I think they're just kind of, both sides of the ball are kind of okay. Like, I think the Baltimore defense has definitely stepped up since, like, their bad stretch. Yeah. And they do still have a ton of weapons to where you can see them having a resurgent playoff run. But I also could see the beholds in this team, and specifically, I think they're a matchup nightmare for Baltimore. I think Baltimore, could, or, or, sorry, for Tennessee, I think Tennessee could easily light up Baltimore's defense. Um, yeah, I think it's going to be. I think it's all going to depend on: Does Tennessee have to rely on Derrick Henry for sixty minutes, or can they? Can he find help? Yeah. So I think, like I said, I think Baltimore's pass defense is really good. Um, but I think their run defense has struggled at points throughout the season. And a lot of it is kind of attributed to the health of uh, Calais Campbell, which has been hit or miss throughout the year. So I think if Campbell's on the field, I trust Baltimore a little more. It's just really hard for me to trust this Tennessee team right now. Like, even if they win this game, I don't view this team as a Super Bowl contender. No, because I while, while I think their offense might be like top three or four in the league, I think at the same time, they have a bad defense and they have a bad special teams. And I'm not going to trust a team that's really bad in two or three phases of the football game to to win uh, a Super Bowl. So while I think they could up they could beat this Baltimore team, I'm going to lean Baltimore on this one because I do think they're going to be able to move the ball, not just through the run. I think they're going to be able to throw on this defense as well, and I think they're going to be able to beat up this Tennessee team and control the clock. And then on the other side, I think Tennessee has to adjust their game plan a little bit. They like to run with Henry a lot, obviously. And then when they use their play action, they use their play action for deep passes and mid-tier passes. They look for that 15 to 20-yard throw. I think they're going to have to look more underneath him for the short route because I I just think it's going to be really hard to throw on this Baltimore secondary. I think they have to isolate guys like Patrick Queen. I like Patrick Queen, but he's been terrible in coverage, I think. Uh, He's better against the run. If they can isolate guys like him against like Jonu Smith, I think they can have a lot of success in the passing game. So I, I'm going to lean Baltimore, though, because I, I still think they're solid in all three phases of the game, where I think Tennessee is a lead in one and pretty bad in the other two. Yeah, I think 
I think Baltimore, I'm really in Baltimore too, uh, in a very high scoring game. I think, what I think is gonna happen is Tennessee's gonna jump out early, um, mainly because I think they're gonna, you know, have their game where they Derrick Henry runs the ball and they're gonna be really good. But yeah, I think Baltimore just has more facets to their team. And I think that's ultimately gonna give them I'm going to say 35-31. I think it's going to be close, but I also think that Baltimore will be able to get a win. Yeah, I, and it honestly could come down to who gets the ball last, as cliche as it sounds, you know, because yeah. I do think that plays a huge factor. So I'm going to go 31-28 Baltimore with Justin Tucker hitting the winning uh, field goal. Now, you see, you, you picked Tennessee-Baltimore as the most interesting game of the year. I think it's going to be Pittsburgh-Cleveland because I think you're going to see – I if 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 COVID didn't exist and you just gave the roster of Cleveland and the roster of Pittsburgh in this game, I could see I, and I probably would have predicted uh, Cleveland to win the game because I I just think they they ha- I think you know Pittsburgh aside from the Indianapolis game has kind of been really rough the last half of the season and while people point to the fact that they played with without Big Ben, I also don't think Big Ben is much of an improvement over what you saw Mason Rudolph do no. in Week 17. That being said, Cleveland maybe has had the worst COVID cases of the year right at the playoffs hit. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I think the problem that you're going to have is not only is Stefanski a good head coach and I think important to be out there, He's also a terrific play caller. Yeah, he's the play caller. Yeah, so I think that's a huge thing if he's not going to be able to be out there because he's clearly unlocked with something with Baker having his best season and also this running game having, I think they almost had 2,000-yard rushers. So having all of that working together, I thought really gelled. If Stefanski is not there, I think that's a t- I, I just think it's too tough of a task. I do, I do agree with you that it could be the most interesting game if everyone was out there. But at the same time, with Stefanski not being out there, I'm not really seeing it. Not to mention, if Denzel Ward's not back, I thought Mason... I think he, they said he's coming back. He's coming back? Because, yeah, back. Mason Rudolph was able to torch Robert Jackson, so they need to have Denzel Ward out there. Um, because this pass defense isn't very good anyways. And when you take out its best player, it's even worse. So, I think it'll be interesting to see that matchup. But I, I, I think I have to lean Pittsburgh because I don't. I just think it's going to be too much without Stefanski. I think it ultimately comes down to, and obviously the losing of Stefanski really hurts that team. Uh, very Cleveland. Very, very, it's a, well, it's not even very Cleveland. It's a very 2020 move. Yeah. Like, hey, we made the playoffs. We found this bright spot. Oh, now we lose our coach and possibly like half of our other good players. Yeah. Um, I think it ultimately, if, if we talked about, if we were talking about if Stefanski comes back, I think the, the game would be decided by Baker Mayfield, whether he played or not. Or played good enough. Um, with Stefanski out and with the possibility that, you know, the, the, I think it's ultimately going to come down to which Big Ben we see. Mm-hmm. Do we see the Big Ben from the Baltimore game, the first Baltimore game, or the Indy game, or or do we see the, the guy from the Dallas game and the, yeah. uh, the those games where he just looked awful? The Washington football game, I think, is a great example of Big Ben not looking good at all. Um, contrary to you, I think the, the the pass rush of Cleveland, I think, is really good. It is co- it is a good pass rush. Miles Garrett and Olivier Vernon and Ogunjobi and 
another guy I can't think of the 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 other DT who I think is really good. I'm drawing a blank. Yeah. Uh, anyway, I think they have a really good pass rush, and I think if you look at what Pittsburgh's done this year and where they've been good and where they've been bad, they've really struggled with really good front fours. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that's mainly because their wide receivers are completely inconsistent. Um, sometimes you'll have again Deontay Washington have a really good game. Sometimes Juju has a really good game, or sometimes both of them really struggle and they have to rely on Claypool. Uh, I'm, I'm going to lean Pittsburgh because of the coaching thing. I probably would have leaned Cleveland if uh, Stefanski was coaching, uh, just because I do think they'll find a way to get more of a run-based offense. Uh, it, it, I still think it's my most interesting game because I think it's this kind of two teams playing each other who both have the possibility of being good, but I don't think will be. Yeah. Uh, um, I, th- I think it's going to be, I'm going to say, 24-14. Pittsburgh. Yeah, I was thinking 24-10. I think especially with TJ Watt coming back too, they had a bunch of guys that they were resting on the defensive side of the ball. Um, The problem, you know, Pittsburgh can't establish a run game. They're never going to it seems like. Uh, And Ben just has to find a way to make 12 pretty good throws. I think he's going to be able to find in this one. Um, Yeah, I think Pittsburgh wins this one just because I think think missing your play caller who's really changed his team and who I think is the coach of the year I think missing that is just too much of a loss. I will say though, this game also has the potential, um, and I think the New Orleans or no, the Seattle game is the same way, where it's like this this game has the potential for everyone to bet on the loser, to where everyone bets on Pittsburgh because of Stefanski being uh, out, because Pittsburgh has looked really good over the in the Indy game, and then Pittsburgh just lays an egg. Like I'm thinking yeah. of their game against Washington as a great example of Pittsburgh is the team this year that most likely to me just lay an egg in a random game. Oh, yeah, definitely. Uh, this Because this offense can fall asleep for, you know, quarters, not and just a little bit. I also think that Pittsburgh's defense is the best defense that also just gives up weird plays. Yeah. Yeah, and I just think, you know, missing Bud Dupree and missing uh, Devin Bush for a lot of the season, too, I think has mm-hmm. really changed this defense. I still think it can make a lot of big plays and still has really talented players, obviously, with Watt, Fitzpatrick, Joe Hayden, all these guys. But yeah, I mean, it's not the same defense as when all 11 of those guys are on the field, but I still think it's a pretty darn good defense that's going to be able to uh, make some plays. I also just don't think it's the difference maker of like a uh, like a Greek, like a New Orleans or like a Baltimore or, or even like a Buffalo. Speaking of Buffalo, uh, nice. this, this game is probably going to be the most lopsided game of the week. Um, Potentially. Because... I think, again, you talked about going into the playoffs. Buffalo is probably the trending favorite for growing in, in Super Bowl possibility. Mm-hmm. Uh, Josh Allen is now probably the second favorite for the for the MVP. Uh, and Brian DeBowell is now being considered like, a, like one of the top candidates for a new head coaching job. I was never a huge fan of Indy this season. I think they are a pretty good defense mired with an offense that is up there with Pittsburgh in terms of completely whatever. It's another offense that can fall asleep. Um, and and it falls asleep more often yeah, than Pittsburgh. I think one of the things, you know, they had, uh, who did they lose to the second to last game of the year? Um, that, yeah, they lost to Pittsburgh that second last game of the year, and you know we were kind of saying all year we're waiting for the almost for waiting for the dam to break with uh, Philip Rivers, and kind of have a bunch of turnovers, and I think he kind of did it that game. Um, but he has played well a lot of the season, and you know not made a lot of mistakes, which I think has been a big thing because 
you know, weirdly enough, Jonathan Taylor was the third leading rusher in the NFL this year. Um, so, well, this year is this year. I feel like because of COVID and possibly because of um, how like the season's been tracked, I feel like no one gave attention. Like people joked about James Robinson not being noticed in Jacksonville. Uh, Derrick Henry ran for two thousand yards, and I didn't know about it until after the season. Like, yeah, what? <laughs> yeah, exactly. So, well, he needed two hundred and fifty yards the last game to do it. Not, he, not of a, course, yeah. he did. I mean, the Texans have the worst defense in the league, so that also catered to I it. I consider the Jaguars the worst defense. I mean, they're they're in the conversation. I just seeing the Texans defense firsthand, they can't cover anything. Uh, that's besides the point. Texans aren't in the playoffs. Yeah, but we don't have to consider them. No, so there are some good matchups here, I think, because I think the Colts' defense has been one of the better ones in the league. Uh, and I think one of the things they do really well, I think there is a, a good amount of luck to turnovers. But at the same time, this way this team not only creates turnovers, but also just kind of capitalizes on them, I think is fantastic. You know, you saw that fumble in the Jaguars game the last week of the season. The ball pops out, and there's eight guys around the football immediately. This team just knows how to make plays and get the ball back for their offense. And I think that's a huge thing that's going to have to play in this one because, you know, I keep saying it, and it's not fair because he's had huge improvements this year. I still say there, you know, if Josh Allen regresses for a week and goes back to the Josh Allen that was throwing laterals in playoff games, you know, there's a chance he turns the ball over two or three times against this Colts defense. I'm not going to bet on it, but there is a chance. But I, here's my point about why I think this game will probably be a blowout and why I'm not surprised if Buffalo wins by 30 or more. I think, first of all, I think having Stephon Diggs drastically improves what Josh Allen is. Mm-hmm. Because Josh Allen, we always knew he had the arm and we always knew he had... And I think it's the same thing for what you're seeing in Kyler Murray in Arizona. When you give him a guy who you can just say, I, I, I don't have any options, just throw it near that guy. Yeah. I think that drastically, especially for Josh Allen, who has a great arm, a speed guy like Stephon Diggs. Yeah. Um, but also, people, I, I think early in the season, they struggled in their rush offense a little bit without um, losing Frank Gore from last year. But I think their rushing offense is probably one of my favorites in the league right now. And that's one thing the Colts have kind of they've been they they they've struggled a little bit on their rush defense. And I don't know, I think I I just I don't know. I I think Yeah, I mean I, I definitely see it as a blowout. Um I guess one more matchup I really like with the Colts. Uh I think the Bills pass defense has really bounced back this year because yes. they really struggled at the beginning of the year. But the run defense still has been suspect at times. Uh, you've seen some bad teams being able to run the ball on them and keep it interesting at points. Um, so I think that, you know, and I mentioned, you know, Jonathan Taylor. Naheem Hines is also a huge part of this offense. Mm-hmm. I feel like the big thing is the Colts offense, when Taylor and Naheem Hines can do things, mm-hmm. and, you know, Taylor's running the ball four or five yards to carry, Hines is catching some balls out of the backfield and also maybe breaking off a 20-yard run. Mm-hmm. That's when this offense can really work. Um, I'm just kind of playing devil's advocate with a lot of this because I do think that there are matchups that kind of work in the Colts' favor. But at the same time, like, you know, I mentioned that defense and how good it can be. When Josh Allen spreads five wide and he has Diggs, Dawson Knox, um, Cole Beasley, Gabriel Davis, and all those guys out there. Who's the guy they were talking about getting this week, Will Fuller? Or, no, who is it? The the guy from uh, Houston. They they said they were going to look at signing him. 
guy got cut. Oh, I can't remember. Yeah. Um, that'd be interesting. Uh, but yeah, so, you know, when they spread five wide with all those, you know, not only talented but quick guys, and then Allen's also their kind of running back, I don't know if there's anyone in the league that can stop that because that's just a really dangerous set and everyone can make a big play. They have the thing that I think I talked about with Tampa Bay. They just have so many weapons on that offense. Uh, I think I saw in what game was they had a game where they, I believe, over like a three-game span, they scored touchdowns with like eight different receivers or nine different, like yeah. including running backs. Yeah, I, I don't know. They, I think in the same way that I think Tampa Bay could easily make a run for a, a high playoff seed or a Super Bowl, I think they are the same thing where obviously once you get that juggernaut in Kansas City, it's going to be tough, but they have the pieces, I think, to do it. And that's why I think they are so favored among outside, yep. maybe outside of Green Bay, but even maybe ahead of Green Bay Yeah, to be a Super Bowl favorite. I could see them as the second favorite. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I do think they're going to win this one. Mm-hmm. Honestly, the way I could see this game going is maybe they start a little slow because they're a little nervous. This Colts defense plays really well to start and has a great game plan. And then they kind of figure things out and start running it up. Like, I, I could see it ending, like, 35-17 Buffalo, but at halftime it's, like, 10-7. to And then they start running it up after that and score four touchdowns. I think this game for Buffalo will start the exact same as it did against Pittsburgh, where Indianapolis gets a quick touchdown and, you yeah. know, they're, they're, they're high, and then Buffalo responds right back. And then Pittsburgh gets another field goal, and then I think this game is going to be yeah. not necessarily a high-scoring game, but I think it's going to be something where Buffalo – pops early and then kind of just slugs their way through it uh i'm gonna say 35 14. fair enough uh well well, we're gonna move on second to the cfp national championship because yeah that's a thing but uh looking ahead at uh the playoffs as a whole give me without knowing obviously any of the matchups this weekend your super bowl favorite matchup Ooh, all right. Um, so preseason, I said Baltimore over Seattle for the Super Bowl. Okay. Um, I since kind of cooled off that. Obviously, seeing Baltimore's performance well, I was in say, Seattle. Do you, kinda... Are you still gonna think Baltimore's gonna no. win it all? No, <laughs> I'm gonna go. I think I think Casey's gonna win it. I think that they're gonna play. The NFC is such a crapshoot for me, but I think because I think it's potentially gonna be New Orleans going to Green Bay in the NFC Championship game. I think that's a huge advantage and Drew Brees having to go into Lambeau. I'm going Kansas City over Green Bay. I have a chalk championship, one seeds and Kansas City coming out on top. I'm going to have I have Green Bay over Buffalo. I think Buffalo what I think is going to happen is and you've seen this over Kansas City. They've had some games in the second half of the season where they've just not looked sharp. Uh, they've still won and I think Atlanta is a great example of a team where they just they've kind of been just off yeah, they've coasted a lot. Uh, Kansas City yeah. against uh, New Orleans, I think, another, was another one where it's like they were heavily favored, but then they just didn't look sharp. I think what's going to happen is um, Buffalo wins this week. I think Kansas City in their first-round matchup is going to coast because I think coming off of a emotional victory, whoever wins that matchup will go and beat uh, them. And then I think Buffalo will just have a game similar to what Tennessee did against Baltimore last year, where they just kind of sneak up on them. Not, not just that they, that Kansas City should not consider Baltimore, but that I think Baltimore will just have a good game. And then, yeah, I agree with you in the NFC. The So much of the playoffs is about who your quarterback, who's your quarterback, and, and do you trust them? 
And the only... I trust Tom Brady, but I don't trust Tom, the pieces around Tom Brady all the time, including that defense. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I trust uh, Aaron Rodgers and that Green Bay defense. And yeah, I think Green Bay... This this also could possibly be one of Aaron Rodgers' last years in Green Bay, knowing that situation with Jordan Love. And yeah, I think Green Bay plays Buffalo and sneaks a win. I could see it. Yeah, I mean, I think... Uh... Green Bay is definitely poised. They look a lot better than I thought last year. I thought they were a little fraudulent last year at 13-3, and and they faced a terrible matchup with San Francisco. I think this team's a lot better, and it looks a lot more crisp in uh, year two under the floor. What's funny is, and I've always been the guy who's like, I agreed with you last year. I was like, Green Bay is several pieces away from getting to that Super Bowl. And I don't necessarily know what those pieces were they got to get there. Because I can't, I mean, Robert Tunyon obviously is a great tight end, and he may, he's a definitely piece. But, like, especially on defense, which I think was a huge hole for them last year, I don't know necessarily where they 100% got better, but I do think their players as a whole have just progressed. Yeah, I mean, I think the secondary got better. I thought it was a team that gave up a lot of big plays last year, and, you know, I think they sacrificed some of their run defense last uh, this year to make sure they, were big, they didn't prevent a lot of big plays. Jair Alexander's been one of the best corners in the league. Kevin Kane's been really good back there, so I think having those guys really perform at the back has been the thing that's really changed. But again, really I think it's it. it's it's the way that most teams do, and I think Kansas City was a similar thing. They just got better by just their players being better. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So uh, looking forward to the CFP National Championship. It's Alabama, right? I mean, I think so. I I still think that they're a juggernaut. I mean, you know, we talked about is LSU the best college football team of all time? Um, last year, last year probably, but uh, I mean, I think they had the most impressive resume. Yeah, I think if you compared rosters, because I think generations are different, because obviously they looked a lot more explosive just yeah. because the way the games played. Um, I think just if you look, if you stack talent on teams, Miami's two thousand one team still the best. Probably, um, but I think they're best. They had the best resume last year. Alabama went ten and zero in the SEC and didn't really have any close games until the SEC championship, and even then they felt pretty comfortable winning that. So I think it's interesting because we've seen two schools of thought of going up against Alabama. And a lot of it was roster-based and kind of necessary in that way. You saw, you know, Notre Dame last week in that game essentially say, we don't have the wide receivers to com- and playmakers to compete with Alabama. Let's just make this as ugly as possible. And if it's in the fourth quarter, you know, maybe we're within a touchdown and it gives us a chance. They weren't within a touchdown, so it didn't give them a chance. But, you know, they held Alabama to the least amount of points they had in two years. In the last, I think it's been since 2018, since they scored less than 35 points. So there's that with that one. The other strain of thought has been the Florida Ole Miss one, where it's like, let's just keep pace. Let's just run it up and see what we can do. I'm kind of partial to believe that's actually the better course of action, and I think Ohio State has the horses to be able to do that. Well, and I also think, and again, I do think Ohio State's defense wasn't bad again, or wasn't, like, had a good game against Clemson, but you could clearly see that the offense was the thing that was getting them that win against Clemson. Ohio State has the firepower to be that sort of Florida mm-hmm. and Old Miss strategy. My one thought, though, is, and it's been the the question that's been following Alabama all season is, will this defense against another really high-powered offense be able to show itself? And I do think against Florida in that second half and against uh, Old Miss was another great example of an offense that just 
they gave a lot of points here that they probably shouldn't have. Yeah. Which Justin Fields are we seeing? Are we going to see Clemson Justin Fields or are we going to see Northwestern Justin Fields? I think if we see, uh, I think if we see Clemson Justin Fields again against Alabama, I could easily see Alabama or Ohio State stealing this. Um, but I also wouldn't doubt Nick Saban, given you know ten days, has the ability to find a way to stop him. Yeah, and because I do think the Alabama defense still has the pieces. Yeah, I mean, I, I do think we need to look at the circumstances that led to that Northwestern performance. Uh, I know I'm higher on Justin Fields than you are, but at the same time, he was missing Chris Olave in that game. Yeah, he was just coming off of COVID nineteen himself, I believe. And I think a lot of that played into his own game and his own performance in that one. Not to mention Northwestern secondary has proven that it's pretty nasty in the way they beat up Auburn, too. Uh, I think that's a really good secondary that made some plays. Um, so I think Ohio State's going to be able to compete. I think that they're actually – I think they can throw the ball downfield in this Alabama team. Um, I do think Sean Wade in that Seattle or Ohio State secondary is going to have a really tough time um, it really comes down to, because I think when we saw Ohio State's defense play well, it was because that front four was just getting after Trevor Lawrence. If they can do that with Mac Jones, who's not as mobile as Lawrence, that gives them a chance maybe to make a couple stops, because that's pretty much what you need. You need one or two stops, and you have to be able to keep pace. They have a chance, because that front four can make a few plays and create a few turnovers, and then Fields is good enough and I think talented enough with Alave on the field to win them the game. It'll be interesting. I do. What's funny is this, this game could be over 100 points, but I could also see both offenses stuttering a little bit in this game being very similar to Georgia-Alabama three years ago. Where yeah. It was like, funny enough, maybe Devontae Smith scores another walk-off yeah. touchdown. Uh, I'm going to say 42-31 Alabama. Yeah, I, I, I'm interested in the line on this one because, you know, a lot of games typically end unders in championship games just because of the nerves mainly. Yeah. But I, I'm going to go 38-34 Alabama as well. I, I think they're going to be able to put up some points. I think Ohio State's going to keep pace. I just don't think they get it done at the end. I feel like this game could end up similar to Ohio State-Clemson last year. Oh, yeah. Where Ohio good... State has a chance to win it at the end. Maybe one turnover kind of ends it. But I think they're going to be able to keep pace and look pretty good in this one and even have a lead at one point and have people asking questions. I just think... I trust Saban more. I trust the the veterans on Alabama more. I think it's going to be a close game, though. Yeah, it's going to be interesting. And then this game, I think, will be a big decider of... Because I, I do think, even though this year has been an amazing year for Alabama, this, this year is a big year of, is the dynasty continuing, or is it just another good year with the pieces still there? Uh, this is another good year where the dynasty could continue. Yeah, I mean... Like I said, their their class for next year is also statistically rated the number one in the country and one of the best ever. So having that combined with the talent, you know, their their most talented quarterback might be on the bench. And uh, so with all that, you know, I think that this team's going to be just fine going forward. But I think they win the championship. Well, thank you all for listening to this week's episode of the Sports Break Podcast. My name is Jackson King. I'm Kyle Grondon. And we'll see you next time. Thanks and gig'em. <laughs>